Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Sherry. How are you today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Well, we are um, looking forward to interviewing our next guest on our podcast. This is Jennifer McInday, and she is an Elizabeth Dole Foundation Fellow, in addition to being a military caregiver and proud military mom. And I also am going to add, she just became a grandma. So congratulations, Jennifer, and we're delighted to have you on today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and love your podcast and excited to to talk about caregiving today. Awesome. Well, we are too. Um, Well, we always like to start off with just a simple um, introduction and welcome. So we would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm originally hail from Indiana, southern rural Indiana, and had the privilege of raising my younger brother, James, through his middle school and high school years, um, and then seeing him off to the Army, uh, where he served with the uh, Deuce Force Striker Brigade, which is part of the 25th Infantry. Uh, he was based out of Fort Lewis, Washington. And during that time, I, I worked in radio and um, for a company called uh, Pepsi-Cola. You may have heard of it. <laughs> and... <laughs> didn't know anything about the military except that my little brother was part of it. He was in in the infantry and that we were at war. Um, in 2004, he deployed to Mosul, Iraq, um, and survived a mess hall attack there on December 21st, 2004, uh, only to be wounded on January 25th of 2005, just about a month later, when he drove over and improvised explosive device during a mission. And um, so that thrust me into my caregiving journey. Um, Like a lot of caregivers, you know, I wasn't really prepared for that, and it's completely changed my life and uh, and his. So um, today, 15 years later, our lives are a lot different, uh, as many of your your listeners have probably experienced uh, either post-service, post-injury, and um, I'm was able during the the last 15 years just to be a proud mom and see my son grow up and join the Marine Corps, um, which, which is uh, kind of funny. We probably, you probably know a lot of folks who have two kids that serve, but in different branches, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I became a grandma. So it's so exciting um, to now have a new sort of caregiving role, if you will. Grandma caregiving is the best kind of caregiving. <laughs> well, congratulations. I don't want to call you a grandmother, but uh, I will. Congratulations, <laughs> grandmother, and uh, on being a new grandma. And I would like to get back to uh, your brother and the situation that happened that changed your life. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit more in our pre-call, but could you share with our audience what were your initial thoughts when, because uh, again, you had mentioned that you didn't have any experience with the military. So what were your initial thoughts when your, when your brother was injured and you, you found out the severity of that and how did that change your life? And uh, were, were you in any way prepared to become a caregiver at that time? You know, it's so interesting to look back now. The thing that I was preparing myself for was for his death. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of military families who have a loved one that's deployed, you know, that's what you prepare for. They get, um, they have a will. A lot of times they'll, um, they'll tell you what they want their funeral arrangements to be, where they want to be buried. And I didn't have any idea what to do if he was wounded. And to be quite honest, you know, you, I found out during a very brief satellite phone call, like, like a lot of our loved ones, um, and things started going through my mind. When the call ended, really the only person that I had contact with was the Family Readiness Group Coordinator, the FRG, and, um, you know, they ha- often have very little information about an individual soldier or service member. And so 
um, initially I just was in this state of shock and I had all these questions. And then over time, you know, after he got back to the United States, he's in the Army Medical Center, I, I had loads of questions about his condition, his um, recovery, and I, I also had to learn about what was going to happen with his career. And I didn't know. I mean, acronym, military acronyms are a, they have a life of their own. Yes, they do. <laughs> I, I think um, what I also wasn't prepared for was the huge impact that it was going to have on my life, that I wouldn't be able to maintain my career, that there would be times when it would be difficult to even care for my son because I was attending to my brother's needs, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be able to be a good partner in a relationship uh, if my partner didn't understand, you know, all of these new responsibilities that I had. Um, we were I was very fortunate because I had a really good friend, the mother of the medic in my brother's unit, and she was very supportive along the way, and she's a little bit older than I am, so... You know, she had more life experience at the time, and and that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when did it kind of start dawning on you that you are now a caregiver? Like, did you know what that was at the time, or 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 was that something that you sort of figured out, or or when did it dawn on you that wow, I'm a caregiver, and and this is what a caregiver does. Um, it, in the in the beginning, it didn't at all. I really thought of myself more as next of kin, and nobody was using the term caregiver in mm-hmm. 2005. Um, but I I started to realize that I was the responsible party um, when the command at the Warrior Transition Unit would talk to me instead of my brother, when the his neurologist would you know, address me and not, not my brother. And I, I could, the wheels started turning like, okay, they're giving me all the information. They're relying on me, um, to handle all of this. And, and really that, that was the case from very early on. I've often thought about the service members who are wounded or, or injured that, that don't have, a family member or a friend that can be there with them to, I mean, I literally created a giant binder. I always had a clipboard with me, pens, you know, I, um, I often think about those service members who don't have a support person because they, there's so much thrown at you so quickly. Yes. And, uh, it, it is very overwhelming. And I have seen that from the beginning, especially, with the with the injury, you don't know what's going on with your career. You don't know what's what's going to happen going forward. How are we going to be supportive? And then at some point, you start talking about getting out of the military. What does that look like? How are we still going to be supported going forward? And there's just so much to digest. And then you're dealing with the very uh, uh, emotional and, and physical injuries um, and 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 their consequences and and the results. And so. There's just a whole lot going on. It's very hard to sort of get traction on which way is up. And here at the foundation, um, we have been working with caregivers from the initial injury. Many within the EOD community, we have had various degrees of of injuries, many invisible wounds, uh, traumatic brain injuries, PTSD are very prevalent in our community. Uh, even even uh, amputations, loss of limbs, uh, we we have we have run the gamut as far as our our wounded goes and our caregivers who who support their loved ones, um, and so we have been with them through the initial injury and uh, also getting getting to grips with the new normal and then going forward. Um, we we've learned a lot, but we also know that it it takes a lot of support. Um, what were what were some of the obstacles that you encountered? after you became your brother's caregiver, he was no longer in the military. And what what did that look like? How did the road forward being a caregiver work for you? What were the obstacles and, and how did you overcome those? I think the early obstacles, because you have to remember the first couple of years of conflict <clears throat> for our current generation of 
Warriors was really disorganized. It w- I mean, I don't want to use the word chaos, but it felt that way as the village. Um, they were really trying to stand up the, the warrior care programs and the transitional unit and, and doing it very quickly. And so um, there was, we, I didn't know of a support group other than my Blue Star group that met once a month. You know, we wrote letters and made care packages. Um, my family readiness group, who was in Washington State, and I'm in Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at Fort Knox, which is in Kentucky. Thankfully, that's the warrior transition unit that my brother was assigned to, uh, so that you know he could be closer to home. Um, but I, um, so I didn't have that EOD foundation that you guys provided. So wonderful, um, and I've seen you know these past. 16 years, how, how much support makes a difference in that caregiving journey. Um, I really struggled because I didn't have it. And I was trying to figure out, you know, army retirement, the med board, VA, a disability, VA health, along with social security, all of that stuff, living arrangements, stairs, you know, we talked about, um, the visible wounds was trying to deal with understanding all of that and also understanding what a TBI is. I didn't, I'd never even heard of that before my mm-hmm. brother was wounded. Trying to understand post-traumatic stress and all of that time I really wasn't looking inward and understanding that I was experiencing stress too, that I was experiencing grief and loss. You know, the, the brother that I had was going to be in the military for you know, who knows, 20 years, and then have a career and get married and have kids and all those things. And it took me years to really grieve that and come to terms with the new life that we had. And I think anybody that's listening who's early in the in the process, early in their journey, you know, just give yourself permission to, to grieve, to grieve that. It's okay. And there were times when I felt guilty about that, and and I I didn't need to allow yourself to to have all those feelings um, because it's important that you take care of yourself. Um, I think the the key to me becoming healthy after probably seven years of really doing it all on my own was connecting with with other caregivers and other other families like ours. Because as many, you know, you know, when you go, when you leave the warrior transition unit, you head home, or you leave service, you know, and you, you establish your home somewhere, um, life completely changes. <laughs> yes, it does. And um, mm-hmm. your neighbors don't always understand your, uh, the people that you, uh, your, the people at your church don't understand, the people that you spent time with before, they don't, even sometimes family don't understand it. You can, it can feel awfully alone. Well, Jennifer, thank you for sharing that. And we we certainly understand and have seen, um, you know, the term caregiver burnout, or uh, and we understand that term very clearly. And can you share how you overcame the, the stress of being a caregiver? Um, how did you find joy and also find yourself again? Were there any key elements in that that helped propel you forward? Well, the, I can tell you the, the key elements that were missing, and that was I wasn't actively asking for or accepting help. And I think a lot of caregivers go through this. You know, mm-hmm. you have this warrior that you're caring for who's done incredible things that, you know, most of us can't even imagine. And now they may be enduring incredible pain and physical and emotional changes that we can't comprehend and so here you are struggling, right? And so you don't want to be the weak person. You have, you know, you haven't been blown up. This is, this is how I, I talk to myself. You know, I haven't been blown up. And so I, you know, can't work full time. Well, you know, that's nothing compared to what my brother is going through, right? And mm-hmm. um, you talk yourself out of needing help. And 
when I found myself in a really desperate place because I couldn't handle all the stress alone, I couldn't handle the physical burden of doing all of the care, I, uh, I actually found myself really having dark thoughts, you know, suicide ideation and, and really severe depression. And what helped me out of that was another veteran recognizing in me that caregiver burnout that I couldn't recognize for myself. Um, they actually connected me to Wounded Warrior Project, who got me emergency mental ca- mental health support, and then also were able to connect me uh, to a larger support group of mothers of warriors who'd been wounded in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was actually those connections that started to make me understand I'm not in this alone and I can't do it alone. Um, and I, I learned about caregiver burnout and how maybe yoga could help, relaxation, breathing, exercise, um, art therapy. You know, for every, it looks different for every single caregiver. What really brought me joy was finding out that there were programs that could help me with my brother so that I didn't have to invest all of my time that there were people that could come and help um, specifically for us. It's been the Wounded Warrior Project Independence Program um, and and VA programs that I just wasn't aware of and needed somebody to educate me about. Um, that opened up some time for me. And once I, I had that window of time, I was able to start asking myself, okay, what can I do? What would make me happy? For me, it was going back to work. And that was that was a really scary I didn't know what that looked like. Um, and so it was suggested to me that I start volunteering to get my feet wet again. And I volunteered, I just at the urging of, of another, I filled out an application to become an Elizabeth Bill Foundation fellow. They said, you know so much about caregiving and what it's like in a rural area. And maybe you could help other people. And I thought, that's what I need to do. I need to take all of this pain that we felt and flip it around and use that energy to help other people. Um, and much to my surprise, I did become a fellow with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, and it has given me the opportunity to help other caregivers on their journey. And that's been really the thing that's helped me more than anything. Um, I'm also blessed to be a spokesperson for Wounded Warrior, Pro- Foundation, Wounded Warrior Project, so I have the opportunity to talk to folks who aren't in the military world, who don't know what our life is like, um, to share our family's story and um, encourage them to help families like ours in their community. Jennifer, thank you for sharing so much really good information out of that uh, response that you just gave. I love how you talked about finding different um, therapies, treatments, programs that what works for you. And I also think that uh, one of the things that you said really resonates with me, and that is don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to accept help. Um, You know, this this cuts across not just for caregivers, but also for our wounded warriors or for anybody who's going through crisis. Many times so many people feel, well, there's got to be somebody worse off than me or or I'm not deserving. And, And you absolutely are if you're a caregiver or a veteran. You're absolutely deserving. Uh, so please ask for help and, and please accept help. And uh, and, and I, I just like how you, you put all of that together and how it changed your life. Um, could you talk about uh, when did you find out about the Elizabeth Dole Foundation? Um, you know, how did you get involved? And also for the audience that's listening, tell us what, what is the Elizabeth Dole Foundation? You know, why were they established and what do they do? Well, I found out about them in 2012. I met several caregivers at the Wounded Warrior Project retreat that I was sent to to help me learn about my stress and to get get on a healthier path. Um, and and one of them told me about their advocacy efforts on Capitol Hill. Um, and I knew about the results of that advocacy that the Elizabeth Hill Foundation had done um, on Capitol Hill with, with VSOs, including Wounded Warrior Project and, and others, to pass the uh, the caregiver bill in 2011. 
I, I was in the VA caregiver program as a result of that legislation, and so I knew their work. I was like, well, that's wonderful. If I could help, you know, advocate, I would I would gladly do it. Very interested in government growing up, knew who Elizabeth Dole was, and um, was willing to volunteer. And also I was looking to rebuild uh, my skills so that I could re-enter the workforce. Um, and that's when I started to um, learn about the foundation. Senator Elizabeth Dole actually spent time in Walter Reed in 2010, about a year really, after her husband Bob suffered a stroke and he was recovering there. And Senator Dole would go and visit him and she would see caregivers like me with their warriors um, from all across the country, caregivers who were living in hotel rooms or even sleeping on mattresses on the floor next to their warrior who um, were trying to raise kids or who had quit careers like I did. And she said, gosh, there's really nobody advocating for this group of people. And she began taking them out to dinner, listening to their concerns, finding out what the challenges were that the caregivers specifically were facing. And that's when she decided this needed to be the work of her foundation. And just she's thrown herself in 100%, just like Senator Elizabeth Dole does into everything. She created the fellowship program, which adds um, new caregivers every year from across the country um, who all have, you know, whose lives all look different. Some of them care for those who have amputations or visible wounds. Others care for aging veterans or those who have invisible wounds. All areas are represented, every state and Puerto Rico. And she not only helps them advocate nationally on Capitol Hill, but also in their state and even in their local community. But what's amazing about what the Elizabeth Dole Foundation has done is that they've created a hidden heroes movement. And that spinoff is what gives every caregiver access to one another and to support uh, that didn't exist, you know, when I was struggling and is so phenomenal uh, for so many. Right. And uh, speaking of Hidden Heroes, which is a spinoff of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, could you tell us uh, what kind of services are available to the caregivers who um, are both military, non-military? What kind of services are available through the Hidden Heroes program? What do they do? Well, first, uh, caregivers should visit hiddenheroes.org where they can register actually as a caregiver, which uh, then they'll be alerted by email of all, all the new programs, all the efforts that are um, in place, and one in particular that's, that's really helpful, that could be helpful for any caregiver right now, is a respite relief program. Um, and it's providing free respite hours for caregivers uh, of any era veteran. And you can use the respite in any way that you want. You can actually... You know, leave your home if you need time away. You want you need to you need to go visit a friend for a day, um, or you can use them to help you with household chores like laundry and meal prep. Uh, or you can use them outside the home if if you're uh, you need somebody to go do errands for you. Uh, they can transport your warrior to an appointment if you if you need that. I love the flexibility of respite relief, and I love that you can use it for. Uh, up to 24 hours they're, they're offering. So you could use eight hours this week and eight hours a couple of weeks from now and still have eight hours to use uh, when it gets a little closer to the holidays. So that's just one of the programs that's available right now. Another one that I'm really passionate about is the Hidden Heroes Caregiver Community, which is an online Facebook group, private, it's only for caregivers, which I think is wonderful, and it provides a peer support network 24-7. Um, I had the privilege of being the um, admin for a number of years of that group and really saw it grow and develop. There's several thousand members, um, and they if you have a question and you're a Vietnam-era caregiver, there's somebody in there that understands. If you're a sibling caregiver like me, there's somebody in there that understands. And I think... Um, by registering online, you give yourself the opportunity to find out about even more amazing programs. They're putting together new programs 
all the time that are customized just for military and veteran caregivers. Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing that. And uh, for all of our listeners, especially our caregivers out there who are listening to this podcast, please go register at hiddenheroes.org. And please take advantage of the respite relief programs and also go to the Hidden Heroes Caregiver Community on Facebook, which is only for you to find uh, peer support programs and assistance. That's great stuff. Thanks, Jennifer. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, we understand that your caregiver experience, along with involvement with various organizations, has prompted you to become a strong advocate for caregivers. This includes speaking to Congress. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Oh, sure. You know, it's very intimidating to be asked to share your story. And, um, but the, the more that you do it, the more you realize how powerful our caregiving stories actually are. And, and that by telling that story, you might actually be able to affect change. Um, I can't think of a, a more moving moment in my caregiving journey than um, sitting in the, the office of former Senator Dan Coates uh, from Indiana and telling him my story and, and seeing him cry uh, and hearing him ask me questions about our family and then literally telling, telling me what his office could do to help. Um, they helped cut through some red tape, make some uh, make some phone calls to get answers to questions that we had lingering with my brother's care for a long time. And I didn't even realize that that was a function that our members of Congress can do. And they, they, they can't just, they do it for everybody. Um, a lot of folks don't know that every member has a military um, liaison that helps veterans and members of uh, active duty members of the military. And that was really powerful for me. Um, I mean, I, almost like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of moment, like little old me can go to D.C. and talk to you and make a difference. Um, I encourage every caregiver, um, make sure that your elected officials know who you are. Tweet them, send them messages on Facebook, write them an email. Um, they will keep track of it and they will respond. And if you do it often enough, they're going to know what, what challenges are um, and hopefully work to get those those met. And I think um, because I've been a part of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, I've been, you know, blessed to, to have those opportunities, but also to be able to share with other caregivers that everyone can do that. Um, and if you can't travel to D.C., um, obviously we have COVID now. Um, you can have a, uh, you can attend a virtual town hall. You can meet with your representative when they have hours in their in your state, at their state offices. Um, and don't just stop there. It's really important to connect at a state level. So many states have their own programs for veterans and their families. Um, oftentimes they have emergency financial fu- funds. They have um, other programs that you may be able to take advantage of, like daycare vouchers or uh, waivers so that you can receive um, food benefits. Uh, and so always check with your state officials. Your governor's office is a great place to start and find out what's available. And then I encourage caregivers to dial it down even one more level and dial 211. Maybe people listening don't know, but 211 will get you some information in your county about what your county offers. And you can simply say, I'm caring for a veteran. What programs do we have here locally for veterans? And you might be surprised what you find out. And if you don't have any, that's a great place to start talking to your elected officials about what what's needed and what they should be offering. That's fantastic information, Jennifer. Um, you know, even Mike and I are learning something new as we're listening to you. And uh, this is great information for our caregivers out there. And uh, leading into the next question, um, you know, raising awareness for caregivers is so very important. And people fall into that role every single day. And, and most of the time, it's it's in an unexpected way. And... Um, Caregivers can also be spouses, they can be 
uh, parents, adult children, adult siblings, um, a friend or, or other loved one. So there is no particular, um, I guess, demographic. It's, it's pretty broad when you think about the term caregiver. But, you know, we still have servicemen and women uh, serving in harm's way. And despite the drawdown of the war, um, is there a message that you would want to share with our listeners um, that would maybe um, talk about that feeling of uh, potentially like folks don't think that we're, we're still in harm's way. And um, if you could share something in that way. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe how long we've been um, involved in the con- current conflicts. The post nine eleven era now is nearing twenty years. Um, it's you know the longest era of conflict we've ever had. Um, and just from my own personal experience, my brother was in combat, but a couple of years after my son joined the Marine Corps, I got a phone call uh, from a Navy foreman uh, at a at a hospital to tell me that my son had been injured in a training accident. And I have to tell you that since then, um, I've learned that we have many service members who are hurt on active duty, in training accidents, car accidents. Um, and a lot of people forget that. You know, that is service-connected. I, As someone who's received a phone call from the battlefield and a phone call from a, a you know, a Navy hospital on a stateside base, I... It didn't feel different. Uh, the worry, the panic, the concern uh, for me was the same. And I'm, I've been blessed that the care and concern that we've received from the organizations that support us, so it's the Film Foundation and the Warrior Project, has been the same. Uh, no difference between caring for my brother um, who was wounded in combat and caring for my son who was wounded stateside. Um, and and I think that's what I want everybody to take away is that every single day, our service members, some of them are being hurt in uh, in conflict and combat, and some of them are being hurt stateside. Um, it's very dangerous to be in the military. You know, they train to do very dangerous things, and that training in and of itself is dangerous. And um, and I think we should always remember that just because they're they're stateside or they're on a base does not mean that they are away from danger. And um, the other thing that I, you know, I want the the listeners to know is that every day somebody is becoming a caregiver, and it may be for a veteran who is aging and experiencing symptoms of Agent Orange. Um, it may be for a veteran who had a TBI 10 years ago and didn't know it, and now it's finally being diagnosed. Um, and those caregivers are going to be impacted, their lives are going to change. And the things, there are a lot of things that we can do. Employers can recognize the challenges and make accommodations. Neighbors can uh, recognize that support shouldn't end when the deployment is over. Um, And family and friends should be open to being educated, especially about the existing group. And to educate themselves. If it's too hard for you to ask the question of, of your loved one or their family member, get the internet out. Google PBI. You know, there's so much information available. Um, and that's what I, I just want everybody to know is to educate yourself and, and support one another. Uh, I'm an Indiana University Hoosier, and our football saying is LEO, love each other. And, and that's really what I hope everybody takes away from this. Thanks, Jennifer, for sharing that, and I agree with everything you said. I really don't have anything to add to it. It was spot on because I have been seeing exactly what you're talking about for years and going forward, and the pace and the amount of families and veterans that need these assistances for caregivers and also for the veterans themselves, they continue, and they will continue uh, um, long after. So uh, one of the things that you talked about in the pre-call is you talked about how to get uh, civic and government and business leaders involved in helping and supporting caregivers. Why is it important? You talked about government, but what about the civic and local business leaders? Um, How do you get them involved and why is that important? What do they do for the support of uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation, Hidden Heroes, and our caregivers? Well, you know, 
providing uh, support in the workplace for caregivers doesn't won't just impact that individual caregiver. It, it can impact your entire workforce. It really shows uh, the your entire staff that the culture you're creating is one of support. Um, and and I have to just say, caregivers in and of themselves can make wonderful employees. While I wasn't able to work full time when my caregiving responsibilities, you know, ha- demanded so much of me. Um, when I was able to return to work, I needed a few little tweaks. You know, I needed a a private space if I got a call from the VA or I needed to call a doctor and talk about my brother's care. Nobody wants to do that in a cubicle corral. Um, and I also, from time to time, needed some flexibility with my hours so that if I had to go to an appointment, you know, be able to work from home or to make up those hours on another day was just so crucial to my success. But what my employers get in return is someone who's dedicated, who's organized. I mean, caregivers are really great um, under pressure, and they also are super empathetic. Empathetic not only to their other to their coworkers, but empathetic to the organization. Um, and this year is a prime example of how we need that in our in our teammates. Um, every organization has been put under stress, forced to make decisions on the fly and and accommodations, and that's what caregiving is all about. So I really encourage business leaders to, to not only understand that, but embrace it, and not just for military caregivers, but for any caregiver, those who care for maybe a child who has special needs or an aging parent, and, and to understand that just like giving a, a nursing mom in your organization a, a place to pump uh, and and time off if she if she needs it with with her newborn, uh, by giving our caregivers that kind of support, we really establish a wonderful relationship with them. And I have to tell you, the loyalty that you can get from those gestures is uh, is invaluable to your organization. Yes, and uh, that is that is really fantastic um, examples that you shared with us. And I've actually seen that in our local community, and I've also seen organizations embrace that, employers embracing that to make accommodations. And you're right, they get a loyal employee who is very organized because they have to be. And uh, it's it, it's really good that, that we are changing the way that we uh, approach, approach work. Um, you've shared so many resources. Is there any other resources that you could think of off the top of your head that you'd like to share with us that uh, we could post uh, at the bottom of our podcast when we, when we release this? Well, I absolutely want you to share HiddenHeroes.org. And for anybody that's listening, um, the Wounded Warrior Project resource line is uh, open for any era veteran. They have thousands of vetted resources from uh, service dog organizations to uh, local peer support groups and, and of course, to re- can make referrals to the programs they offer post-9-11 veterans. And their phone number is 888 888- Nine nine seven two five eight six, and they're at WoundedWarriorProject.org, a longtime partner of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, which is a, such a great pairing. Um, and and so I hope that you will share those resources. And I guess I can do a shameless plug here and mention that um, I co-host a podcast called This Caregiver Life with a uh, the caregiver of a Marine veteran who has ALS. Her name is Mary Ward, and um, she's a huge advocate. Um, in not only the ALS community, but the, the military and veteran caregiver community. And she actually spoke to Congress um, when the Mission Act was being formulated about expanding the VA caregiver program to other eras. Wonderful caregiver. Um, and so we're on This Caregiver Life is the name of our podcast. If anybody wants to learn a lot more about caregiving, then you can uh, give us a listen. Well, that sounds wonderful. Um, I absolutely look forward to listening to the podcast, um, Jennifer. Very interested in that, and we will definitely share these resources with our listeners. Um, I know that along the way in this interview, you have given several um, tips and some advice and just personal experiences um, for our caregiving uh, community. If if you could think of one thing for um 
a piece of advice maybe for a caregiver who is actually struggling, what would you say to that caregiver? Well, first, know that you're not alone. Um, And if you're listening right now and you feel that way, it's really important that you find support. Um, Both, all of the resources that we've given you today um, can be a great first step. So the hardest part is making the call, but, you know, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Um, and, and, and the best piece of advice I can give you is to find peer support, whether it's that one person, like uh, my Patty Donahue, who's the mom of the medic in my brother's squad, um, or whether it's somebody you've never met before, but, but they're, they're, having a meaningful conversation with you in an online platform like the Heroes Caregiver Community. Finding that peer support is crucial uh, because when you when you help other caregivers, you, you have a little more clarity, right? When you get past that that dark place yourself, you can look back and and offer some really sage advice and and support. And that's my that's my thing is you've got to find somebody to lean on. When when I left the the retreat where I met the other caregivers after after my really dark time, we all shared each other's phone numbers, and we saved them in our phones. And from time to time, we have to text each other because we're feeling down or we've hit a wall with some red tape, and we, we need some help or advice. And I have to tell you, that's the thing that gets us through, and that's the, that's the key to getting uh, yourself on a more healthy path. And there's going to be really tough days. Um, I've had some really tough days recently, um, and the way I've gotten through it is by leaning on, on my peers. Well, we appreciate that advice, and um, I certainly have seen and, and been witness to the effects of peer-to-peer support through some of the retreat programs that we offer for our caregivers, and you're absolutely right. It's what I always like to say, it's building community within a community. You know, you, you want to make the connection and you want to have somebody to lean on. And um, it's so, so important. And um, I also love the fact that you acknowledge that it's okay um, for caregivers to feel, you know, grief and loss and acknowledge it and come to a place of acknowledging out, uh, acknowledging it without feeling guilty about it. So I think those are such you know, vital things that, that people can listen to and grab onto. And I certainly hope everyone will, um, you know, take something from this interview with you. And um, we absolutely appreciate your time and support. And with that, we are going to lead into some fun questions. And um, I, uh, I will start off. Can you share uh, what your favorite food is? Gosh, I am a huge uh, fan of ice cream. I love every single kind of ice cream. My first job was actually in Richard's Ice Cream Shop in Nashville, Indiana. It's still there today. Um, (laughs) And I just, I love every flavor. I know how to mix my own flavors. I think maybe my ideal job would be to own my own ice cream shop. (laughs) That's pretty cool. But that's my absolute food. <laughs> okay, awesome. I love ice cream. Um, and being a Hoosier, <laughs> I was going to congratulate you on the fact that your Indiana Hoosier football team is doing great this year. <laughs> it's incredible. We've been uh, we've been waiting a long time for this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys around. look really good. I watched you against uh, Wisconsin and I was like, "Man, they look good." I said, "They've arrived." And uh, so, I guess it leads into the next one. What's your favorite sport? I probably know the answer, but maybe not. Okay, I do love IU football, but my favorite sport of all time is basketball. I was born in 1971, grew up with Indiana University basketball, undefeated team, national championship teams, and I absolutely love basketball. Anytime I can get into Assembly Hall and see a game, I've got to be there. I can't believe I'm not going to be able to see a game this year. The first year I will have missed a game since I was eight years old, I think. I try to get one game in at least every season. Um, absolutely love it. Um, 
love playing basketball. I'm on five two, so I'm never going to be the center, but I um, <laughs> I love every part of it. You're a mean point guard, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a really good coach. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you uh, did you get to see the Indiana basketball team live when uh, Bobby Knight was the coach, the famous Bobby Knight? I did a number of times. Yeah. Um, did you see him throw a chair a across the arena? <laughs> did you get to see that? <laughs> I, I was at a game where Bobby Knight actually was supposed to, they were supposed to play the Russians, uh-huh. and there was a bunch of questions about the the rules and international rules and Olympic rules, and he pulled the team. So I can't even say I was at the game because the game didn't happen. But um, yes, I did. I did see Bobby Knight coach team, and uh, still learning whether our current coach Archie Miller is the uh, you know what he's all about. I think we're still getting used to him. Um, if any team you know does well during COVID, that right that any any program yeah yeah for sure is just challenged right now. Yeah, for sure. We we agree with that, and um, it's it's across the board. You know, um, we're all experiencing cha- challenges and change. Um, well, I if- have to say, it's been really nice to have uh, Indiana University has been a longtime supporter of our our veterans and our wounded warriors. And my brothers had the opportunity to go with other um, veterans to uh, to tour the facilities, but also to meet the trainers. They have a uh, Indiana University has an athletic trainer that um, actually is a paraplegic, and he, he teaches the veterans how to adapt workouts, which is wonderful. And um, I just I want to give them a shout out because they are really so inclusive of the community and the people in the community that probably need it the most. Well, that's fantastic, mm-hmm. and that's great for our listeners to hear as well. Um, well, can you tell us what your favorite movie is, uh, whether it's Ooh. a favorite movie or just a genre of movie? Well, that's a tough one, but I'm going to choose The Longest Day. I mean, I have a huge World War II buff. My brother is too. Um, actually had the opportunity to be um, at Pearl Harbor last year um, on December 7th, which was transformative just to be be there to see, to meet some of the veterans, to be part of that ceremony was uh, a once in a lifetime. Um, but I like the longest day because it doesn't shy away from any of the really tough stuff. Um, it's full of stars, you know, when there's many of them were younger and I love that too. And I love John Wayne. So. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. And do you have a favorite vacation spot or a place that you've visited? Oh, so much. I love the ABC Islands, which is Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Mm. And I was supposed to be in Bonaire in June, but we can't have to cancel it because of COVID. So hopefully, maybe next June, I can be in Bonaire. It's a great place to snorkel. Um, we actually have a forward operating base in Curacao, the United States does. So we have airmen, marines, we've got um, some Navy there uh, that they are actually fighting the war on drugs. But uh, they intercept, I don't know, something like $5,500 billion every year worth of drugs that are um, intended for the United States. It's, It's incredible the work that they do, and nobody even knows about it. They're just on this tiny island. Uh, it's also only about 30 miles from Venezuela, um, so I know that uh, it's an important place for us to be um, for international security as well. And uh, and I really I really just love it there. That those are Dutch islands, and the the Dutch are uh, not only longtime allies but just really nice people. Yes, they are. I was born in Holland. My mother's Dutch, so thanks for that plug. <laughs> 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 so that's great. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's on uh, that's on my bucket list to go go to that island. Uh, so I didn't even know we had military station there. That must be a terrible place to be stationed. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, on the equator outside of the hurricane zone, yeah. it's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Is, uh, that's, that's how much daylight you have almost every day of the year. I can't imagine how miserable they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much. Before I go, I just have one other question, and that is, how is your brother doing? Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you asking that. That's usually the last, you know, kind of the last thing people want to know. Well, how is James? Um, he's doing okay. He had his 20th surgery um, right before the shutdown, so March 2nd. He had surgery, and that made things a bit complicated mm-hmm. uh, these last months. Um, he's got another surgery coming up in January, um, and so we're making preparations for that now. And I have to say, although I that I maybe have struggled more with the stay-at-home and the quarantine than he has, um, because he's kind of used to it, mm-hmm. being a, a wounded veteran. Um, so he's, he's really helped me through that. Um, he, he's working hard to stay healthy and to have a quality of life that he deserves, and um, I'm doing my best to help him find it. I know there may be other listeners who are kind of in the same place, you know. Um, we really just take things one day at a time sometimes. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, well, we're glad that he is doing well and also wanted to ask how your son is. Is he is he doing okay? My son is doing okay. He's had um, his own journey that definitely we didn't expect. And, uh, and he's uh, now a new dad, which is great and obviously um, a wonderful, wonderful thing for our whole family. Um, I have to give my hat I have to take my hat off to him too because he grew up uh, with my brother post injury basically you know he was in third grade when my brother was wounded mm-hmm. and and full well knew the consequences of service and yet still wanted to serve the country um, and I'm so very proud of him for joining the Marine Corps and serving and um I probably don't tell him that enough. So I'm, when we're done here today, I'm going I'm to remind uh, him how proud I am. And, and, I, and I do want to reiterate to all the families, whether your loved one, you know, serves in combat or not, their service is appreciated, and their, um, and and whatever that they're struggling with is valid and should be supported. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And as Mike said, we we have enjoyed having you on the program today and really appreciate all that you're doing um, to advocate for our caregivers. And also, we just appreciate all that you do and are very excited to share these resources with our listeners and wish you a very happy holiday and our very, very best to you and your family. Yes, and stay safe. Thanks, and same to you and all your listeners out. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being on your show. Thanks. Thank you, Jennifer. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.